Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. The bigger picture, only on Money FM 89.3. Hi, I'm Willie King, and this is The Bigger Picture. Stocks fell Thursday, pressured by rising treasury yields. And earlier this week, we also had U.S. consumer price data, one of the biggest catalysts for the Fed's interest rate decision, to have come out modestly hotter than expected. The major indices ended a four-day winning streak, with the Dow Jones Industrial Average was lowered by 0.5% to close at 33,600 points. The S&P 500 declined by 0.6%, ending at 4,300 points. And the Nasdaq Composite lost 0.6% to land at 13,500 points. US Treasury yields recently hit a 16-year high, with the 10-year benchmark traded above 4.8%. In other news, China is expected to release inflation numbers today, with analysts expecting the country's consumer price index to climb 0.2% year-on-year, compared to 0.1% in the previous reading. So how will all this impact Singapore's outlook? Joining us on the line as we unpack all of this is Barnabas Gunn, Acting Group Chief Economist of RHB Bank. Good morning, Barnabas. How are you? Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Lily. How are you? Hey, I'm great. So, Singapore has just released its latest third quarter mm. GDP figures. I mean, we see the economy has fared better than expected in the third quarter. And it's also a sign that our city is recovering, you know, it's getting more traction. And gross yeah. domestic product in the three months through September grew 1% from the previous quarter. How did this compare to your expectations here? Well, look, okay, I'm in the sense that if we see the global economy and Singapore being a price taker, you know, and a small and open economy, we, we in general, you know, as a very small economy, is very dependent on, on global, you know, growth momentum and stuff like that. Essentially, we have been keeping to our guns by saying that the risk, you know, more so the growth momentum from the global, global perspective, especially in the U.S., has been uh, improving. You know, we are seeing very optimistic numbers, especially from the labor front, from the consumer front. And really, if we see the equities performance, despite the ongoing geopolitical tensions, it really does give us a very strong sense, you know, that the investors, global investors are really shedding off risk and more so really paying attention to the growth momentum they're seeing. So how does this pan out for Singapore? You know, we see that, you know, very encouragingly, the latest data from a quarter-on-quarter seasonally adjusted perspective, Singapore GDP has expanded for two straight quarters. Yeah, I think what we have seen is really a very encouraging data. You know, uh, it, it has first avoided a technical recession in the second quarter and a better than expected third quarter. You know, so I think this is a very, very encouraging number for Singapore. Uh, it really pans, you know, uh, and gives us, you know, a sense that Singapore will still continue to expand and accelerate into the fourth quarter of this year and especially into 2024. You know, so I think what we have seen is that uh, with the ongoing improvements in the growth uh, momentum in, in, in the global perspective, as well as Singapore being one of the beneficiaries, uh, we are seeing a better 2024. What do you think has drove the strong third quarter GDP numbers here for Singapore? Well, I think essentially we have seen that, you know, there are two fronts at play. You know, the biggest part really is services because uh, it commands a very huge part of the economy, you know, and uh, manufacturing is a very close second. Both industries, you know, services and manufacturing has actually expanded uh, on a queue-on-queue uh, season adjusted basis, you know, in the third quarter. Uh, we are already seeing a, you know, an uptick in tourism numbers. We are seeing a uh, improvement in uh, in consumer expenditure, given that the labor market in Singapore still remains very tight. You know, uh, we are seeing that it's already uh, bottoming, especially from the manufacturing front uh, in the uh, global semiconductor spilling or demand. You know, for those who see, uh, look at it very closely, 
and also um, the uptake relief in, in a sense uh, for the momentum in semiconductor billings across the world. Uh, Singapore being one of the key many uh, you know key manufacturing hubs uh, in Asia, and we, we we deal with a lot of high value you know uh, electronics and manufacturing stuff. Uh, this is really very much you know a basis you know for Singapore to really benefit from the uptake you know in the global tech cycle. Mm. So you have seen that Singapore labor market is pretty strong, and on top of that, you also mentioned about how Singapore has you know connected globally in terms of its growth, and at the same time, you have also global investors shedding off risk, like what you have mentioned. But on top of that, you know Singapore remains the largest trade partner with China, even though the economy is struggling with sluggish consumption growth and sort of a real estate slum right now. And at the same time, you also have the US expansion where it could be expected to slow down because of the very strong labor market and the Fed is still very aggressively trying to put the brakes on interest rates. In this case, what are the bright spots and weaknesses you are seeing on how the global economies are impacting Singapore? I don't quite subscribe to the fact that the US economy is uh, not effectively slowing given the higher interest rates. The U.S. economy is quite resilient at this juncture, you know, and that come, came as a surprise to many analysts. The labor market has been exceptionally strong despite the interest rate hikes, you know, and we are still looking for one more time hike from the Federal Reserve uh, towards the end of this year. That's what. So what we are seeing really for the drivers of growth, um, first things first, you know, uh, we are already seeing that the reliance on China is falling in terms of exports, you know, in, in terms of trade. Uh, from the Nordex front, if we see that the Nordex, you know, exports to various key economies, the U.S. exports to the U.S. have actually surpassed China, you know, and this is not a norm per se if we see historical empirical data, you know, in the past, whereby China still remains to be, in the past, the largest trading partner in terms of non-oil domestic exports uh, to China and to the rest of the world. So the U.S. has been surpassing China, that's one, you know, and that basically gives us, you know, the evidence that the reliance on China is falling. But that's not worrying, perhaps, if I could add, because uh, we are really seeing very, very early signs of a recovery in China. We are seeing, uh, you know, some uptick in the labor market. We are seeing some uptick in the consumer expenditure and the retail sales. Even in the export front as well, you know, if we see the trend between uh, China's exports as compared to the global semiconductor billings, uh, it's trending one-to-one uh, one one because, uh, you know, whatever that happens in China will impact very much on the electronic sector. It also, what we are seeing right now is a bottoming of the tech sector, and that basically means that China's exports and China's trade would likely pick up. Although quite slow at this juncture, but, you know, we are seeing, you know, at least some very early evidence of a gradual pickup, a gradual recovery in Chinese numbers. Mm. You did mention earlier for Singapore, you're looking at manufacturing semiconductor and that's the momentum which is picking up. What else are you seeing in terms of the momentum going into the fourth quarter for the Singapore's economy? Well, I think very much so. One thing is growth, as we have already mentioned. It has been improving, you know, and we are expecting it to improve in the fourth quarter. I think one risk that I would actually add, if I could, uh, in terms of momentum, is sticking inflation into the fourth quarter, sticking inflation also into the first quarter of next year. Why is that so? I think really very much so. I think one thing for certain is higher oil prices, you know, uh, given the ongoing geopolitical tensions uh, around the world. That's one. And of course, if we have to regard the fact that if we, if we believe in the global growth story, the demand for risk, risky assets like uh, you know, growth-related assets like crude oil uh, will pick up. Uh, as well as supply will continue to stay constrained given the policy-induced uh, supply shocks by OPEC+. Plus. Yeah, so oil prices may actually see some higher risk into fourth quarter of this year, if not first quarter of next year. That's one. Uh, second is food prices. I think simply because uh, the El Nino conditions are elevated, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's getting more severe as you speak. 
for the weather forecasters, you know, and those who see the weather out there, uh, twenty twenty three is actually the hottest, you know, history. <laughs> you know, so that so that essentially means, you know, that if we see and account for poor harvest conditions, poor crop yields into the next six to twelve months, the supply constraints will be there in terms of food. And that basically means that as much as population grows and demand starts to you know, pick up into the following year, real slowdown in supply would just generally mean higher food prices. So just look out for inflation risk, especially in the foreseeable future. Mm. Just to shift gears a bit, uh, we have also yeah. seen the MAS monetary policy has announced that it will keep its monetary policy unchanged for a second straight meeting. What are your views here? Well, so that's, 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 that's quite, that's quite uh, expected. At least in our books, uh, we have uh, already expected that the MES will keep its policy parameters unchanged, and this has been seen. Um, what we are actually seeing right now, really, from uh, the rhetoric, really, it's that will likely be, you know, the fact that the growth will likely pick up into 2024, you know, as well as hopefully slowing inflation into the second half. You know, I just mentioned that sticky inflation might be seen, so that will likely isolate itself, hopefully, into the first half of next year. And into the second half of next year, it could actually slow. You know, so uh, if we see the policy parameters being unchanged, that essentially gives us a cue that the policymakers are generally very comfortable with how growth is uh, performing right now and how inflation is trending right now. So no surprises there. I think what I could say is just hold on to your seats, you know, and fret not. We are gladly expecting a rosier 2024 economic fundamentals. Mm, a rosier economic fundamentals next year. We have been speaking That's with right. Barnabas Gunn, Acting Group Chief Economist of RHB Bank. Thank you so much for your insights, Barnabas, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Lee. Take care. Stay with Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.